Good evening. We will come together. It's good to be together on this Wednesday evening. Hope and pray that you're having a good, good week. We'll begin, as always, uh, with a scripture reading and prayer. Let's read uh, Acts chapter 6. Verses 1 through 7, that'll get us started this evening. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. And then we'll get right into our prayer time. You remember a little bit about what's going on, I know, here in Acts 6. Church is officially underway, Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. Much preaching of the gospel takes place in the area of Jerusalem and Judea. Jesus has said in Acts 1 and verse 8, that you shall be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, that's taking place here. They begin in Jerusalem, Judea. Much of the preaching and being done so far by Peter and John and other disciples. A problem arises with the serving of the widows. Some of the Jewish widows were being served, but some of the Grecian widows were not being served. So they handle this problem, and so we will go ahead and read from Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Philip, and um, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Verse 6, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God 
continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied uh, greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's bow together. Holy Father, we are mindful that all blessings do come from Thee up above, and we're thankful, dear God, for all those. Lord, we're thankful to be able to call upon You as our Father. We're mindful of Your great love for us. We're thankful for our church family here. We're thankful for this opportunity in all of our classes to open up Your Holy Word. Oh Lord, we continue to pray for those among us who are weak, who may be sickly, and even those, Father, who are spiritually weak, Father, we, we pray for them. We pray, Father, that you would bless our upcoming friend and family day, this Lord's Day. We pray, Father, that we may be able to see those we haven't seen in a good long while. We pray, Father, that the gospel will be preached uh, in its purity pray that our hearts uh, will be open. We pray, Father, for the congregation here. We pray your watchful care over us. We pray, Father, that you will help us in our efforts for good. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would mostly help us to stick to your will, to trust in thee always. O oh Lord, we pray now as we enter this class, that you would help us to glean things that will help us uh, eternally. And, oh Lord, that you will help us to focus. And gracious God, that you would help us have the courage to apply these truths to our lives, that our influence may be brighter and brighter uh, for your sake. We're mindful, Father, once again of your great love, your mercy toward us. We're thankful for our Savior. We're thankful for the cross resurrection. And, oh, Lord, help us to be more devoted. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we noticed the rioters who caused the the death of, uh, of Stephen. And I'd like, to, like for us to come back this evening and look at Stephen himself because he is such a, a wonderful man. The Lord does not want us to run on empty spiritually. The Lord does not want us to run on empty we're going to notice here that Stephen is a full man. It's an interesting study, and I'll just get, I want you to get started on this just on your own if you, if you have the opportunity. But if you'll look in your concordance with your New Testament, you'll find the word filled and full and fullness, fullness often. God wants us to be spiritually full. Notice a couple of examples with me over in your Bibles uh, to the book of uh, Philippians, uh, chapter 1. Philippians 1. Mm -hmm. 
Notice in Philippians 1, around the verse 9, Paul says, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus. Now notice verse 11, Philippians 1, 11. Filled, filled, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now notice something similar a few pages over in Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Verse 9, verse 9. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That'll be enough to get anyone started. And, and it's a fascinating study to notice how God wants us to be spiritually uh, full. Specifically here, in Acts chapter 6, we see Stephen as a full uh, man. Let's notice a few of these um, characteristics. How is it that he's full? So seven are chosen here by, by the congregation here in, in Jerusalem, and they were to have certain characteristics. Stephen was one of those chosen. So start with me in verse 3, Acts 6 and verse 3, and notice that Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit. First of all, uh, notice that in verse 3. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, this means, among other things, that Stephen was a very deep reader of the Scriptures. He was a man rich in Bible knowledge. And it also means that these Scriptures, the Word of God, has had a great impact upon him. That's what it means to be full of the Spirit. Ephesians 6 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, we are to take the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so when it says that Stephen was full of the Spirit, we know at the very least that he was full of what the Spirit has brought. God the Holy Spirit has brought to the world these Scriptures. He was full. He was a rich student of the Scriptures. I mean... Jump over and read 2 Peter chapter 1 to, as a commentary on what we're talking about here. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. No prophecy of Scripture, you remember this? No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. Uh, no prophecy ever came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were, as they were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit. These scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, are the product of the Holy Spirit guiding and moving and carrying along these holy men of God. And so Stephen was a rich 
deep student of these scriptures. Okay. We know this further because in Acts chapter 7, and I know you've read this before, Acts 7 is a long chapter, isn't it? And if you ever want a good summary of some of the Old Testament events, you read Acts chapter 7 because in Stephen's defense, that is his speech, okay, as he's defending the faith, he runs through several years of Old Testament history, starting with, the, with God's choosing of the family of Abraham, choosing Abraham, and promising in Abraham that he would bless the nation through his seed, which would eventually be Christ. But, but Genesis 12 onward, Stephen talks about that all through Acts 7. He runs us through the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way down to where the brothers of Joseph sell Joseph into slavery. And then Jacob's family has to come to Egypt, where Joseph ends up being a ruler there one of the rulers, and uh, they have to come to Egypt because of the famine. Eventually, a, a leader in Egypt arose that did not know Joseph and his family, did not respect them, and so the uh, Israelites become slaves in Egypt, and then Moses is, is brought along and raised uh, to become the deliverer. And Stephen goes through all of this. He goes through the life of Moses here in Acts. Uh, seven. He is giving all this history just uh, verbatim as to how it happened. Great summary here. He goes through how that, that Moses was 40 years in the palace of Pharaoh and then 40 years as a shepherd of his father-in-law for his father-in-law. And in the last 40 years, he spent delivering God's people and bringing them into the wilderness and so forth. Well, Stephen brings us through that. Years ago, uh, I mean years ago, when my, Kelly and I were first married, we were, we were anxious as we were reading the Bible together every day uh, to know more about the Old Testament. And we remember um, going through Acts 7 and then reading Acts 7 and then taking Acts, what's said in Acts 7 and go back and then read it more fully in the Old Testament. That's a great way to learn the Old Testament. If you go through the New Testament, and see its usage of the Old Testament. And read it there in the New Testament. You can go back to the events and read it more fully in the Old Testament. It, things begin to open up to you. And so we see here that Stephen indeed was a full man because he was full of the Spirit, Acts 6 and verse 3. Which means he was deep into the Scriptures. And we ought to be that way, of course. Colossians 3, 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Jesus needs to make its home in us in a rich way. Okay. All right, so notice also here that Stephen's a full man. Acts 6, verse 3, he's, it says also he is full of wisdom. He is full of wisdom. Okay. You see that there in your Bible, Acts 6, verse 3. He's full of the Spirit, but he's also full of wisdom. Wisdom. This is a tense situation here in Acts 6 where these Grecian widows, they're called Hellenists, but they're, they're really Greek-speaking Jews. Okay. And some of their widows were being neglected. Okay. Christian widows. 
And um, it evidently means that the Jewish Christians were willing to take care of their own widows, but not of those who didn't live in Palestine. There were, there were Jews who were Jews, but they were born outside of Palestine. And many of them, especially in their later years, they wanted to move to Jerusalem to sort of die at home. They, everybody looked at Jerusalem as, as their real home. Even if you, didn't, you weren't raised there, still because of the Jewish, all the, all the feasts, because Jerusalem under Old Testament under the Old Testament system, was such a center of activity. Uh, many of the widows, that's why you've got so many of these widows now uh, needing help. They've come home to die. They wanted to die at home. And so that's why last week here in Acts 6, we read about so many synagogues. There were many synagogues, different kinds of synagogues, because there were a lot of different kinds of Jewish people there. This was a tense situation because not just anybody could go in here and there's some animosity and, and take care of this service that needs to be taken care of. And so Stephen and these other men are chosen because they have wisdom. They have wisdom. And I think it's the kind of wisdom described by James. Let's turn over there and read just a second. James 3. Okay, I think this is the kind of wisdom that's being talked about in Acts 6. Is what James speaks of, when he speaks of wisdom from above, James 3, beginning in verse uh, 13. James asked, James 3, 13, beginning, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Okay. And then he describes wisdom that's from below, James 3, 14. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But, now here's the kind of wisdom that Stephen had, beginning James 3, 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, you see, and sincere. And verse 18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the kind of wisdom that Stephen and Philip and Nicanor and, and these other Nicholas and others of Acts 6, this is the kind of wisdom they had. It's, it was very much needed because it was kind of a tense situation. And they were able to go in there, serve the food, serve the food, and um, kind of calm things down. So wisdom is very important. And we learn about wisdom from uh, our scriptures. We could, we could go here and there about wisdom, but that kind of sums up the kind of wisdom that, that Stephen has. So he's full of the Spirit and he's full of wisdom, but notice verse 5 of Acts 6, he's also full of faith. You see that? Full of faith. Full of faith. In Scripture we read about, about little faith and strong faith. There are degrees of faith. 
God is not pleased with little faith. You remember Jesus using this quite a bit, and maybe you've already marked this, but in your Bibles, you'll want to mark it. You know, when Jesus was talking about worry and stress and, and fear and distrust, he used little faith. Matthew 6, verse 30, as he's talking about worry, he says, you know, why do you worry, O ye of little faith? In Matthew 8, 26, as the disciples are fearful of the storm and they go down into the boat and wake Jesus up and he calms the storm, well, he looked at them and said, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? Okay. Why are you so fearful? Matthew 14, 31, when Peter is out there on that water, he's actually walking on the water, but he begins to take his eyes off of Jesus and begins to sink. Matthew 14, 31 he looked at Peter and said, Oh, you of little faith. And so several references there to little faith. And, and I encourage you to, to kind of look that word up too and follow it out. Okay. Another reference is Matthew 17, 20, Matthew 16, verse 6. But Jesus often described a people's faith as little. But in Romans 4, verse 20, we remember that Paul describes Abraham's faith as strong. Strong. And so there are degrees of faith. When, it, when you think about Stephen being full of faith, think about the three parts of faith. Okay? There's the knowledge part and the obedience part and then the trusting part. And when it says that Stephen is full of faith, he's full of knowledge, he's full of obedience, he's full of trust and courage in God. We can be sure that Stephen, when he heard the gospel, whenever he did hear the gospel, that he obeyed the gospel, okay? that he heard about how it's necessary to repent and be baptized, like they were told on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, 37, 38. We are sure that when Stephen heard those kinds of words from um, the apostles, that he submitted and he obeyed. And here, his full faith is seen. It's, it's manifested to us. Okay. Especially when you look at, at his willingness to die over in Acts 7. His willingness to die. You know, he goes through all that Hebrew history. And if you look at Acts 7, down about verse 46 and 47 48, he goes ahead and he was talking about when Solomon was able to build a temple for God, but Stephen quickly reminded them of the prophecy. We noticed this last, last week from Isaiah 66. It says, says that God does not dwell in, in temples made with hands, houses made with hands. He's way too big for that anyway. But in saying that, Stephen is showing that there's a new system in play now. The old system has been nailed to the cross, and that made them very agitated. Think about this. Stephen could have gone through all of that Hebrew history and stopped short of agitating them. Okay? He, could have, he could have just went through some Hebrew history and said, guys, you know, we all have the same history. Okay? Let's just try to get along. But he wasn't interested in just getting along. 
He was interested in what? He was interested in saving their soul. And they were rejecting Jesus Christ. They were rejecting the gospel. So here in Acts 7, he, he doesn't pull up short in his sermon. Rather, uh, he gets more and more personal. Acts 7.51, you stiff-knit people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always do resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And um, they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, which is Jesus Christ, Acts 7 and uh, verse 52. And you also, you have betrayed the righteous one and murdered him. Okay. And so he could have pulled up short right there. He could have just left that off and tried just to kind of be a peacemaker, but his conscience wouldn't let him. They needed to hear what they had done. They needed to be convicted of their sin. You know, a cure doesn't do any good unless you're convinced that you're sick. Okay, you go up to somebody and say, here's some penicillin. You say, I feel fine. I feel fine. The cure, there's no, nobody's going to think about the cure, which is in Jesus Christ, unless they're first convinced and convicted that they have a problem. And so Stephen's, that was his goal here. That was his aim. He was aiming right at their heart and their conscience. And this takes faith. You see, faith in knowledge, yes. Obedience, yes. But trust and courage also, uh, yes. That's why Stephen is called a man full of faith at 6 and verse 3. You see it there. So he's full of the Spirit. And he's full of wisdom, he's full of faith. But look at Acts 6 and verse 8 as well. And notice, what is he full of there? Full of what? Power. Okay. What else does your Bible say there? Grace. Grace and power. Okay. Grace and power. Let's start with grace. And then we'll start going to power. He's full of grace and power. What does it mean when it says that Stephen was full of grace? Full of grace. Here's how I think of this. You're welcome to talk about it as well, of course. But I think about the immediate job that Stephen must be involved in, and that is serving these widows. Okay. Part of grace, which, as you know, grace is a huge word. Okay. Grace is manifested in a number of ways. But part of, part of grace... Part of having grace in our lives is being merciful to people. Okay. Romans 12, verse 8 talks about being full of acts of mercy. Acts of mercy. I believe this is kind of part of what made Luke say that Stephen was full of grace. He was full of mercy. Full of mercy. Remember, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Luke 6 and 36 says that Jesus also saying this, Luke 6 and 36, he says, Be ye merciful because your heavenly Father has been merciful to you. And we are to be full of grace in this sense, full of, full of acts of mercy toward those who need it. Remember uh, Jesus as he sets up Judgment Day, Matthew 25, 34, he says, um, those on his right hand will be those who have gone to those in prison. 
they have clothed the naked, they have fed uh, the hungry, they have been kind to strangers. And so maybe in this sense, Stephen was full of grace in the sense that he was full of, of merciful um, uh, deeds. And if he was a man full of mercy, then that would make him a perfect fit for serving these widows. Full of grace. Full of grace. But here's something else that's interesting to me, at least. Turn your Bibles over to um, Philippians 1.29. And maybe this is just weird of me to think of it in this way. But follow me out. Uh, Philippians 1.29 one of these verses that you say, uh, does this really say that? Paul says to his brethren in the church at Philippi, verse 29, Philippians 1, it has been granted, the word granted there, uh, it has been given to you, it has been granted to you, okay? It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also what? Suffer. Suffer. In other words, Paul said, it has been given to you that not only have you had the opportunity to believe, but you've had also the opportunity to suffer. Given to you, that's a good way of phrasing it there, given to you as a favor to be able to suffer. Is it possible that this is the sense in which Stephen was full of grace? In other words, someone full of grace counts it as a gift, counts it as a favor to be able to suffer for Jesus. Someone full of grace counts it as a favor from God to be able to suffer for Jesus. Possibly these early disciples had that very thing in mind. Compare, if you will, the reaction of Peter and John, Acts 5 and verse 41, when they were beaten, okay, they were whipped pretty good. They were, they were released. They had nothing really to hold them on. They, all they had done was heal a lame man, of all things. But uh, Acts 5, verse 41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Verse 40 of Acts 5, And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer dishonor, shame for his name. So it could very well be that both things are in mind here, that Stephen was very merciful but also very willing, obviously, as we read out Acts 7, he was very willing to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus So he's full of the Spirit, he's full of wisdom, he's full of faith, he's full of grace, okay? He's also full of power 
Acts 6, verse 8. This power, if you read right there in Acts 6, verse 8, refers to the fact that Stephen could work miracles. You recall that the reason they were given these miraculous powers was to confirm what they were teaching. And Jesus mentions this in Mark 16, verses 17 through 20. He he promised this type of power, and it came uh, to be. There's nothing wrong with a person wanting his faith confirmed, wanting proof, wanting assurance. But you should not be looking for that today in miracles because the word is already being confirmed. It's already been assured to us. It's already been proven to us that this message of the New Testament is indeed from heaven. Now, how did did Stephen receive this miraculous power? How did he receive it? That's right. Chapter 6, verse 6. The apostles laid their hands on these men, which gave them then that power. A good reference there is Acts 8, verse 18, when Peter and John, the apostles, came to, um, was it Samaria? Yeah, it was Samaria to lay their hands uh, in a miraculous way upon some of the Christians there. Acts 8, in verse 18, Acts 8, 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. So they came. They came. Now in Acts 8, here's an interesting thing. Look down and notice that Philip has been preaching in Acts 8, verse 6, 5, 6, and 7. Verse 7 says, or verse... uh, Verse 6 says, Philip was able to do these signs. Unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed because of Philip's power that he had. Why couldn't Philip lay his hands on the Christians that were being, the people who were being converted there? Why couldn't he lay his hands? The only way to receive the miraculous power in those days was through the laying on of the apostles' hands. Because on the day of Pentecost, the the apostles were baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Philip, he had the power, but he couldn't lay his hands on anybody else because he wasn't an apostle. So Stephen received this power by laying on of the apostles' hands. And so you can see how this kind of worked out. God was going to bring the miracles to an end and once the apostles died and once the men who had uh, had themselves laid on hands of the apostles laid on them once they died out that was kind of parallel to the completion of God's word as he wanted it in the New Testament. So yes, Philip and Stephen also was full of this power, this miraculous power from God. So if we want to know then how to be uh, full spiritually, then we can follow Stephen's uh, pattern here. 
Any thoughts or comments before we say a couple other things about Stephen? Remember Sunday we talked about influence and how that influence is not merely everybody thinking well of you. Jesus did not promise that people would think well of us. He said we would be hated by all men. Stephen is a perfect example of this. Notice in Acts 6 in verse 3, it says, Choose men of good report, good repute. They did. Stephen was a man of good report, good repute. So was Philip and these others. Okay. But Stephen ends up being stoned to death. He ends up being hated. Our goal is not to be well spoken of by everybody. Our goal is to, is to uh, share the gospel in as clear a loving way as we can, understanding that that's going to bring hatred to us uh, sometimes. Now, as a further comment on Stephen's faith here, look at Acts 7 as he's dying. This is, this is so enriching to our souls. How can we not look at this? Acts 7, verses 55 and 56. Stephen here, Acts 7, 55, he, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. So Stephen, in his faith, believed that Jesus was up there. He looked up. And of course, part of history is, Acts 1, 9 through 11, that Jesus ascended up into the skies okay, and took his place at the right hand of God. So Stephen believed that Jesus was at the right hand of God and he was ruling there and it is confirmed to him here in this in this setting. It's where Jesus is and Philip and Stephen and all of them believed uh, in this. Right. Notice here in Acts 7, uh, down to verse uh, 59, it says, As they were stoning Stephen, Acts 7, 59, he called out. He called, who's he calling out to? Jesus, really, yeah, God, he's calling out. So Stephen believed in prayer, didn't he? He believed in prayer. What did, what's the first words that come out of Stephen's mouth as he prays to the Lord Jesus here? What does he say? What does he say before that? Lord, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. Stephen believed that Jesus is Lord. So that's a huge idea. That is it's so true. He's at the right hand of God. He's king, but he's Lord as well. Now, compare this, if you will, in your Bibles to Romans 14. One of my favorite, it's becoming one of my favorite all-time verses. Romans 14 and verse 9. On the heels of Paul saying in Romans 14, 8, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9, Romans 14. Paul says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, 
that he might be what? Lord, both of the dead and the living. Why did Jesus die to be Lord? Why did Jesus come forth from the grave? To be Lord, to be your Lord, to be my Lord, to be Lord of all. So Stephen begins his prayer in his faith, Lord Jesus. And then what did he say? Receive my spirit. Stephen understood as the scripture teaches and he believed that we all have a soul. We have a soul. There is at least two parts of us, body and spirit, body and soul. Sometimes the scripture talks about body, soul, and spirit. I think when it talks about body, soul, and spirit, the spirit there refers to our, to our attitude, spirit, worship in spirit and in truth. There's, an, there's a mindset to us. There's a, this is, there's a psychological part to us. There's our body, our soul, and then our heart, our spirit. But sometimes it just sums it up and says body and soul or body and spirit. Stephen believed in the soul, and he didn't just believe in the soul, he believed that the soul survives the death of the body. Okay. This is directly opposed to the humanist manifesto that was, that was printed several years ago, 40 or 50 years ago, uh, maybe longer than back. But the humanist manifesto clearly states that they do not believe that, the, that life survives the death of the body. Here, clearly, does. And Stephen believes what? He believes that when you die, you go to be with the Lord. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's what I believe. Is that what you believe? That's what Paul said. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. Then he goes on to say, I'm in a betwixt two places here, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. But see, Paul expects that when he dies, he will be with Christ, and that is far better. Far better. So when we our last breath, that is just the beginning of a glorious, glorious existence. Emphasizes in uh, verse 56 there is man, man, the son of man. Could have said son of God, but it said the son of man. Right. He was identified yeah. Yeah. yeah, good points. Christ is standing, and oftentimes in Scripture, such as Hebrews 1, Ephesians 1, it has Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. Here he's standing. What's he doing? Standing. It's a figure of speech perhaps telling us that 
that Christ is standing in um, why do we stand in respect perhaps he's standing in respect of what Stephen is giving up uh, for him it's, it's an amazing thought He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Receive my spirit. I can't think of a better prayer to pray as you draw your last breath. Who's in control of life? I found this little verse from Daniel 5, 23 that you might want to consider. But the God in whose hand is your breath. I hadn't seen that in a long time. The God in whose hand is your breath. And whose are all your ways you have not honored. God is in control of our breath in all of our ways. Look at Stephen's faith, full of faith. His faith went all the way to the end. Think about how that at one point he repented and was baptized, and then he's called upon here to stand up for the faith, willing to suffer, willing to die, but no problem because he knows He knows God and he has full faith that as he dies, they can do what they want to with his body. The real him is about to be in the very presence of Christ. Can you beat that? Can you improve upon that situation? Has the world got any answer like this? What an amazing thought it is, in my view, that we can be full of faith as well. But it takes knowledge, obedience, and trust. Trust means courage. Trust means boldness. Trust means walking by faith, not by sight. Stephen was able to look into heaven we can be sure that the same is waiting for us. Okay, thank you so much for walking through these these descriptions of Stephen and these other men. I encourage you to, um, all of us to read and study more. You all right, Ken?